This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, November 30th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. When the Federal Reserve tells us what they're doing, the language they use often obscures exactly what they're doing. Charles Calamiris teaches finance and economics at the Columbia Business School. At the Cato Institute's Monetary Conference held earlier this month, we talked about what natural language processing could mean or how central banks communicate. Most people don't really understand what the Fed does. And the Fed's communications do not lend people uh, the incentive to try to dig into what it is they do. So tell me, what is natural language processing and uh, how ought it to influence Fed communications? So all natural language processing means is that we're taking word flow, whether it's Fed speeches or press releases or minutes or news articles that appear in newspapers or whatever word flow. Um, and we're, we're analyzing it, which means turning that word flow into something quantitative. So we're looking to see, can we learn things from all these different word flows that can help us understand something in a disciplined way, in a quantitative way? Can we take the sentences that you just spoke to me and in some sense, boil them down to some set of numbers about something. So that's that sounds kind of strange to most people, right? But actually, that's been a revolution over the past 10, 15 years in social science, and it's going to revolutionize even more. So all of social science, I, without any hesitation, predict, will be completely revolutionized by this new set of tools of not just looking at data, traditional data, but looking at word flow as a new kind of data. That's what natural language processing does. Okay, so with respect to the Fed and their decisions about uh, targets for interest rates, what benefit does that provide? Lots of different ones. And in the paper that I wrote, I, I go through all of them. Let me give you a few examples because they're all different. One of them is there are certain um, approaches that allow people to tell whether someone's lying by the way they're speaking. So if you start using, when you're speaking, longer sentences and your words have more syllables in them, that raises the probability that you're not being candid with me. So we actually have ways based on uh, true lie detection, based on looking at how human beings communicate, to be able to say, you know, that didn't sound like a very candid speech. You, you really dropped the ball on candor in that speech, didn't you, based on objective measures. So that's just one. A second one is, how did that level of candor change? Or uh, another measure of candor would be the strength of the adjectives you used, how much you were hedging as opposed to really saying what you thought. And we could tell if we have new disclosure standards, do people pull back? Do they make less statements less frequently in the in the Fed meetings? Do they make weaker statements? Do they hedge themselves more? And the answer is, yes, they did after 1993. Another one is, um, is the Fed making full use of, its, of the information that's available in word flow coming from newspapers and other places? Because the Fed has this thing called the Beige Book that tries to kind of get soft information. And there we can show the Fed isn't making full use of that. 
we had another study of the Fed's own forecasts by its own economists that asked whether it was using its own word flow in the forecasting documents, whether it was fully incorporating all the information into the actual numerical forecasts, showing that it wasn't. In other words, the Fed actually puts sand in its own gears so that it smooths its own forecasts and doesn't tell us what it really knows in its own forecasts. Then we have uh, additional research um, that, that's looking at um, what things the Fed is really targeting based on its speeches. So, for example, suppose that the Fed comes out and, and makes a speech that says, we're really deciding to loosen, we're going to be very, uh, we're, we're, we're very worried about the economy. And then you say, well, what is it that worried you, Fed? They don't often tell us the truth about that. But we can quantitatively look to see what were the things that just changed when the Fed decided to, to come out and say something like that in a speech. All of those are completely different kinds of natural language processing. But what they all have in common is that they discipline the Fed. They act as this kind of lie detector of being able to say, well, no, you didn't. You responded for a reason different than you said. Uh, you're... Your speech is, is obfuscating now compared to what it used to do. Or you didn't make full use of the information that you had. And you're not communicating with me honestly. Those are all things that we can actually now say because we have natural language processing tools. Let's uh, separate out uh, what the Fed, when the Fed makes a decision, we don't often know the precise rationale for that decision until sometime exactly. later. So uh, that sort of lag between the Fed uh, taking an action and the actual discussion and uh, of that uh, action before it was taken, there is that lag. So how does uh, this does not address that, but in terms of making uh, this kind of natural language processing to the extent that that everything you said was was true, um, you know, to what extent should either Congress or the Fed be more immediately transparent about what goes into its actions? Well, exactly. Uh, that's the really the point of my paper is that the the only way to hold the Fed to account for bad thinking, which is invisible to us largely. In fact, you say a lag, but I would say in some respects we never learn. Right, So their thinking is invisible to us. How can we hold them accountable for their thinking through our congressional representatives as Congress is supposed to? How can we do that if their thinking is invisible to us? And the answer is we can't. And so that's why, that's the main argument for, in my view, why the Fed needs to be systematic, it needs to not just develop a, a set of objectives, but tell us how they plan to achieve those objectives in the short term. That is, how do they plan to use, they, they often call themselves data dependent, but exactly which data and how? How do they plan to use those data? And if it's complicated, then give us the complicated story. But don't just tell us, well, we're going to watch data and we'll do what's right. Imagine if you said that to your spouse, you know, she wouldn't let you get away with it, right? And the American people shouldn't let the Fed get away with that either that it should be that you explain your data dependence. And what's great about natural language processing is because it acts like a lie detector, it basically takes a lot of the incentive away from obfuscating. And then 
if you believe, as I do, that the reason the Fed has avoided being explicit about its process is because, as all individuals, we like to avoid accountability, that that now you take the benefit away and, and at some point, maybe that means that we encourage the Fed to voluntarily choose to be more account, uh, accountable. Does that relatively empower Congress with respect to... Absolutely. To, to, okay. So I explain, mean, explain sure. how that's good. Well, um, Congress has a responsibility to oversee the Fed, not to try to uh, short-term manage, micromanage what the Fed does. That would be inconsistent with the Fed's independence. But independence in a democracy for a central bank doesn't mean that it gets to be a dictator. Independence means that the central bank gets to act in the short term based on its own knowledge and, and beliefs, but that however its objectives are determined by Congress and its own processes have to be considered appropriate, how it actually uh, operates so that we can decide whether this process is working as a democracy. And so in a democracy, the people decide and the people's representatives have to have to oversee and discipline the process. Um, now, you might say Congress seems to be dysfunctional. Congress is many things. But in a democracy, Congress is all there is, a Congress and the president and the courts. And so we, we have to depend on them whether you like it or not. Uh, and if they don't have a systematic framework, Congress can't uh, act. Alan Meltzer famously pointed out and when he testified about a decade ago on this topic, he said, you know, uh, he was testifying before Congress. He said, you people here in Congress, you're busy people. You're not just spending your whole life on monetary policy. And let's face it, you can ask a question as best you can, but the Fed person will just run out the clock with vague talk. What you need is to be able to say, Mr. Greenspan or Mr. Powell, your policy says that you map there's a mapping from data to outcomes that's so-and-so. It doesn't look like you followed it. Or maybe that's not the best mapping. Other economists have been saying your mapping's not great. That's what a real conversation with a Fed policymaker would be. You tell me, Caleb, what your mapping is, and then I can say, you didn't follow it? Or I can say, maybe it's not a good one. But if you never tell me, I can't do anything. All I can do is try to make talk, which is what these hearings are when they, the Fed goes to them. They're not substantive. And the Fed leaders run out the clock based on their, their vague answers to vague questions. That's a joke. But it doesn't have to be a joke. So you sound like Ron Paul to some extent. That is, when he was questioning Ben Bernanke uh, and they were talking about uh, mm -hmm. auditing the Fed, the popular meme, right. um, he you know, his concern was always, we want to audit your processes. We want to audit your decision-making. We want to know about what that uh, is. Right. And uh, to the extent that you're talking about using these processes uh, that are fair, reasonably well-established to try to do that, it doesn't sound like Congress is the only body that would be uh, empowered to make use of that information. Oh, absolutely. If the Fed were, in your view, sufficiently transparent uh, in providing the kind of raw data mm -hmm. uh, to the public. So, so how does that influence, uh, in your view, how I presumably you think that that would make uh, Fed processes better to have literally anybody being able to to make use of that data and say, oh, you're not following this rule. Right. There are opportunities here for profit uh, in in the Fed 
telling us this and not that. Exactly. I mean, I, I do want to make a distinction. Auditing in terms of their own financial behavior, and that's not what I'm talking about, of course. I'm talking about being able to hold them accountable for the mapping that they are following from data as it arrives to their actions. Being able to say, well, I don't like that mapping, or you didn't really follow that mapping. We can't do either of those two things if they're not explicit with us about what that mapping is. So that's why um, Jeb Henserling and others were, I think, quite properly supportive of a bill that would require the Fed to articulate what it's doing. Not just to say what its long-term objectives are, but to talk about its processes. The Taylor rule would be one example of that, but it's not the only one. And the point is, leave it to the Fed. My view is that Congress should not require the Fed to follow any particular rule. The rule has to change over time. The, the economy is dynamic. The Fed should be in charge of it. That's what independence means. So independence means the Fed gets to pick the rule. Independence doesn't mean the Fed gets to hide the rule. And so when, when you refer to the Taylor rule, it's... I guess widely believe that uh, the uh, the Fed has for many years used a sort of modified Taylor rule in setting its targets. Well, it looked like the Fed was doing that from the early 1990s through about 2002. And that's what's interesting about not having it stated explicitly because it looked like the Fed was following it pretty clearly and then after 2002 went uh, off the reservation. So the Taylor rule was not at all effective for understanding Fed policy after 2002. And in fact, the Fed was much, much looser from 2003 through 2005 than it had been, than it would have been if it had been following a Taylor rule. And many people say that that's part of the reason we got such a severe financial crisis because the Fed was way too loose and created and contributed to the asset bubble that ended up bursting in 2007, 2008. That's only part of the story I want to emphasize. I don't think that's the, the primary story. However, it's, it's certainly part of the story. So th there's a difference between the Fed sort of tracked what we can, in retrospect, interpret as a rule, which was true from 1993 to 2002. That's very different from the Fed announced a rule, and then we could then, in 2003, Congress could have said to the Fed, well, wait a minute, you, you announced that rule, you were following it for 20 years, what happened? What, what changed? And then the Fed could either explain, which would be, maybe it would be appropriate, right? Or the Fed would have to admit the problem and be embarrassed by it. But we can't have any of that if we don't say what we're doing. So uh, with respect to congressional action, uh, Congress has some authority over uh, how the Fed does its business uh, ultimately. Uh, what should Congress do in order to accommodate uh, financial markets, participants, banks, individuals from taking the kinds of processes that you're talking about, making use of them and trying to uh, understand better how the Fed makes its decisions? What needs to change? In, in the law? Sure. Well, I think it's, uh, to me, it's pretty clear. And I supported the legislation that was pending a couple years ago, which is first, the Fed should have to follow a legislated price target. In other words, the Fed had announced in January 2012 that it was going to follow a 2% inflation target. But that's not legislated. That's not required by Congress. And some economists have already talked about wanting to change it. So first of all, the legislation should specify what the long-term uh, inflation target is. 
Everyone in economics agrees that's one thing the central bank can control, the long-term rate of inflation, because they, pr they print the money. Second thing the legislation should do is require the Fed to state how it uses data in an explicit way and, yes, in an algebraic way to say, we make use of the following pieces of information as they become revealed and they factor into our thinking in the following way. Now, that can change. The Fed doesn't have to announce it in a way that's not changing, but it has to be much more explicit than it is currently and making that clear so that you or I could then hold them accountable for it if they deviate from it, ask them questions about it, and also hold them accountable for what their model is, whether they're doing the right one. And so currently, we have neither of those two pieces. We don't have an explicit inflation target, and we don't have an explicit requirement that the Fed communicate algebraically what it's doing. Charles Calamiris teaches finance and economics at the Columbia Business School. We spoke at the Cato Institute's Monetary Conference earlier this month. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>